Welcome everyone to episode 195 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Dan Club and Chris Coughlin as we discuss the latest Liverpool injury news ahead of Saturday's trip to Brentford. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So, no Liverpool game this midweek, which means there's obviously been no match reaction from us, but there have been some pretty significant stories coming out of Anfield, not relating to the manager search, but to team news and to a couple of injury blows that Liverpool have suffered. There's obviously some very big games on the horizon um, and some better news as well, which we'll come to later in the podcast. So, myself... Dan and Chris are just going to be giving our reaction to that, really. Um, and the headline, of course, is Trent Alexander-Arnold now. News broke yesterday. I believe that uh, Alexander-Arnold is going to miss the Carabao Cup final against Chelsea. Um, that's after he aggravated a knee injury um, in the win over Burnley last weekend. But I think he had to come off at half-time. Um, you know, obviously, not long return. I think it was a game against Norwich at the end of January from a previous knee issue that he'd had. But um, he's whether he's returned too soon or not, we'll, we'll talk about it a bit later. But the key thing is that he faces several weeks out now, according to a report from The Guardian, um, although there's no firm timeline on his return just yet. Um, I'll come to you first, Chris. I mean, just your initial reaction to that news. Liverpool obviously not only competing um, for the Premier League title, but also trying to win um, the Cup as well. Got that final against Chelsea. I mean, how big a blow is it? for that game and for the next couple of matches, really. I think when you hear injury news about a player like Trent Alexander-Arnold, you've always got to say that it's a blow. He's undoubtedly key in so many things that Liverpool do. I've seen a few people kind of reacting to it with the whole, oh, well, would he have started anyway? Obviously, you know, Connor Bradley's been in fantastic form, but I don't just don't think you can say that with regards to Trent Alexander-Arnold. If fully fit, he would, of course, start the final or would have started the final. Of course he would have. And that's with no disrespect to Conor Bradley. He's had some fantastic displays in, in Alexander-Arnold's absence. But we are talking about a generational talent here, a player who is second only to Kevin De Bruyne in terms of passes. And some people might have Kevin De Bruyne second to passes to Trent Alexander-Arnold. That's, that's the quality that he possesses. So it is a blow. It's something that at least doesn't happen in the week of the final. Um, so the Liverpool have a, a bit of time to prep towards it. Of course, I know we're saying missing the final, but there are key games against Brentford and Luton before that as well. Um, but you would expect Bradley to to step in and, and hopefully continue to perform the way that he has been doing. But yeah, it, you know, I don't believe there's any other way that you can look at this other than being a blow for Liverpool at what is a crucial part of the season in terms of really generating that momentum for the final push. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the form Trent was in kind of before he suffered this injury, which I think was in the FA Cup game against Arsenal, the first instance of that injury. Um, it was some of the best kind of individual form we've seen from Liverpool player this season. You know, we'd maybe not had the fastest start to the campaign, but in that period towards the back end of last year, he stepped up and he was really kind of pushing the team forward himself in that stretch. And obviously Liverpool have kind of had to deal with his absence for a while. So maybe you forget that a little bit, but I think in, in the context of 
the title race is a, a big setback and you just get this feeling sometimes that it always feels like Liverpool have two or three key players out at any moment and they can't keep the bulk of their strongest 11 fit for sustained periods and that's just been a defining feature it feels like of the whole Klopp era really whether it, it's bad luck or, or whatever it might be and um, it is just really frustrating but you know Dan I said several weeks um before and that's what the report's saying obviously to clarify again no official timeline on that yet but that's that's what it says um, and depending on how you define several I mean that sounds pretty bleak for the game against Man City which I think is on the 10th of March I mean we're talking about the final we've seen Conor Bradley play really well against Chelsea play well in um, in other few big games as well but should we really be thinking hang on that the main problem here is that Liverpool's you know, second or third best player, whatever you want to put him, isn't going to be available potentially for that potential title decider. Yeah, I mean, quite possibly. I echo everything Chris said in terms of Trent's importance um, and the fact that, albeit Conor Bradley's been absolutely outstanding when called upon, I think he just won fans play with him on for January as well. In the same month, he made his Premier League debut. So that's testament to just how exceptional he's been. And obviously, a couple of weeks out, understandably, given the circumstances that have gone on in his life. But I have no real issues, qualms about Conor Bradley stepping in, but Trent is just irreplaceable. So a game of the magnitude of the Man City one will be a massive blow, it really will, because we've seen what he did at the Etihad. He's got the ability to change any game, any direction, um, because he's that good a footballer. Um, how Liverpool do go about sort of replacing him will be fascinating. Obviously, there's a Conor Bradley angle, which we've already touched upon. There's Joe Gomez amongst that as well. We've even seen the likes of Curtis Jones do a little bit of right-back recently. Stefan Pachetic was the right-back in Austria before we haven't seen him since. So there's loads of different ways of going about that. But again, none of them are Trent Alexander-Arnold. So, yeah, huge blow. Um, and I think... Like I say, how Liverpool, obviously Sabozla is the other one, we'll touch on him in a bit more detail later, I'm sure. But in terms of creativity, how Liverpool find ways of breaking teams down is going to be really, really difficult. That might actually be less of a problem against the likes of Man City because they are so open and they're going to come and attack us. It might actually be these teams that will sit a little bit deeper that we find it harder to sort of break down and actually carve out loads of clear-cut chances against. Um, but yeah, like I say, whatever you lose, key players as players as influential as the likes of Trent, the likes of Sabozlai, it's going to come at a cost. And Liverpool, as you rightly say, they have not managed to keep enough of them fit for long enough throughout the entire season. And that has kind of haunted Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp throughout his tenure. So, massive blow. Um, I have seen it said, I've seen the several weeks report, as you say, I have seen it also said that he might be sort of up against the race against time for the Man City game. That isn't exactly ruled out as of yet. So, a little bit of confliction there, but if he is targeting that Man City game, I get it. And I'd be very, very cautious with him because this is a re-aggravation, as you mentioned. So if it's even sort of 50-50 the game before that, I think it's Forest beforehand, just leave him. Don't even go near him. If that means he's available for City and indeed the rest of the season, because although we're placing loads of importance on the Man City game at Anfield, and rightfully so, let's just say we are top of the league or even within touching distance when that game comes and goes. You want Trent for the rest of the season, regardless of what happens, essentially. So, really difficult one, a real tough balancing act. And, yeah, ultimately, as you've both alluded to, a big old blow that we're going to have to find a way of dealing with. That Forest game should not even be in his mind. The Forest game should be a total irrelevance to Trent Alexander-Arnold now. Because there's really no point. If he's been brought back too quickly this time, 
then why bring him back too quickly again? And with no disrespect to Nottingham Forest, there are at least ways to get around that game, hopefully, and Liverpool win it. Trent Alexander-Arnold, it's far more important he's available for the City game. The Forest game should not even be anywhere near his thinking. And I think you have to look at it and say, yes, there's an opportunity. Obviously, that the City game itself would be a six-point swing in terms of the um, the title race, but you know, you've got to sort of play the long game sometimes and think if it comes down to a, a tight decision for that, is it better to just say, do you know what, I'd, we do not know that he's available for the run-in because I think when a player's aggravated an injury once, I would expect sort of caution to prevail. And just as a bit of a side note, I think in my head since uh, Trent had that brilliant game against Sane in the Champions League in, in 2018, it feels like he's missed every single home game against Man City that we, that we've played. Yeah. It feels like that's that's been the James Milner show Milner, yeah, ever since ever since then. And obviously that's not accurate, but it seems like he's always injured for that game in particular. It's like Neymar with his sister's birthday. Um except this one's a little bit less ropey than that. But um yeah it's just um it's 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 deeply frustrating and you know we'll see what happens in terms of the role that Connor Bradley has to take on in that period as well. But um, let's move on to the other injury concern um, with Dominic Sabasly. It was sort of a secondary line in all the reports and around trends, obviously, you know, how important it is. Um, apparently, it's unlikely that he's going to be fit for the final. Either, like Trent, he's suffered the recurrence of an injury this time. It was a muscle that felt a bit of pain in his hamstring, I think, the last time Liverpool played Chelsea and has missed a couple of games since. Um, we saw, Dan, that... Liverpool obviously got the three points against Burnley at the weekend, but do you think that was a game that actually showed in terms of, you know, we saw McAllister play further forward mm-hmm. and Elliot has come on the second half. Was that a kind of a reminder of Sobberslie's importance, even though Liverpool did ultimately get the victory? Yeah, I think so. Um, certainly from a, a creative sense. And the McAllister further forward thing is fascinating to me. I think, to be honest with you, I think his preference will be on the left-hand side of that ace. But every time he has ventured further forward, certainly from sort of a positional sense, it hasn't really worked, it's fair to say. And that was sort of the area of the pitch we all thought we'd signed him for. And it turns out that, I mean, Klopp might have always had one eye on the six, or the Caicedo deal might have scuppered that essentially. But it feels like he has very much become the six alongside Rotaro Endo, of course, those two are sort of fighting out for that position. Um, and, you know, the other eight options, Ryan Gravenberg, I like Ryan Gravenberg, I think he's got a very high ceiling, I think he's got absolutely bag of potential. Has it worked yet? I think it's fair to say no. I think we've seen it in glimpses. He's yet to put together an entire 90 minutes. I don't think that's too harsh to say either. Again, really like him. Uh, and then you go to sort of your Harvey Elliott too. Again, massive Harvey Elliott fan. You won't hear me necessarily say a bad word about him. However, I'll end that sentence with, has he done it from the start of every single game he started? I'd say no. I think he's definitely been a better impact substitute and he's been brilliant at that this season. So he doesn't necessarily solve that problem either. And then you kind of Cody Gakpo and that very much is sort of square peg round holes territory a little bit. And we tend to do that against bigger teams, quite literally bigger teams. And we might even see that on the weekend against Brentford. So I think Sabozla is a great miss. Like I say, not just in terms of his technicality, in terms of what he can offer in the attacking final third. I think his work rate and the, just simply the distance he covers and the shift he's willing to put in is a big old loss. Um, interesting sort of the reporting around that, actually, because obviously, as you mentioned, it was the secondary line and 
all of a sudden it seemed to spiral a little bit out of control, sort of dismissing him for the final. And then Chris Bascom, the man who actually wrote that column, messaged me and said, can we try and calm everyone down a little bit? He's not definitely not playing in the final. It's like just try and quell that tide a touch. Um, it's doubtful. He did literally say it's serious doubt. Don't get me wrong. It's not, you know, it's not 50-50. It's a serious doubt. But everyone just ruled him out straight away. And it was like, oh, hang on. He might, he might be okay. Um, so we're not done just yet on Tabo's life for the Carabao Cup. But yeah, in terms of what he offers and what we miss when he's not there, massive. And I think... His form definitely dipped, and whether that was an overuse thing, because I've seen a lot of people pointing to that as to why he's got this hamstring injury. He's played more footy than ever before, essentially, in most seasons. But brilliant footballer and a big old miss when he's not there. Well, there we have it. You know, Dan is the mouthpiece um, for, for the Liverpool supporters. Um, but I think, you know, fingers crossed, he's obviously available Liverpool. Um, you'd imagine, like I've said with Trent, extreme caution there. I think you're spot on in terms of his um, importance and the off-the-ball stuff. I mean, it's one of them where we, we shouldn't overlook the fact that like his attack and contribution wasn't quite you know, at its best in the period before, before he got injured. But I think that was so refreshing to see, especially compared to midfielders last season, was that even when he wasn't necessarily delivering on the ball, he was kind of such a big net positive for the team still because of how good his press and work was and you know his commitment on, on that side of things as well. So... I do think that, you know, it's kind of, there's been one or two reminders um, of his importance and there isn't maybe that natural replacement for him for, for various reasons, like you've said too. So we'll see how Liverpool cope in the time that um, he's out for as well with obviously two thirds of that right-hand side unavailable. So how about the other pretty significant third of it in a second? But Chris, I mean, there's a bit of an elephant in the room here um, that we have to address. I mean, so we've seen Trent come back um, get injured again. Sobosly come back, get injured again. Thiago come back, get injured again. This is all in January and February. Um, going back to last season as well, Luis Diaz um, returned for a training session. Then he's out again till the spring. Um, and, you know, myself and Mark discussed this on the post-Burnley episode, but at that time we didn't know what was happening with Trent. So now it's even more significant as of a bit of a worrying pattern, really. So, how do we, from the outside, like judge this situation? Because we have no idea what's going on in terms of the medical department, um, you know, the coaching staff, who's making the decisions, what the process is, things like that. You know, we can piece it together a little bit, but we don't really know. But you kind of can't ignore at the same time, as much as you do have that inevitable ignorance, you can't ignore this trend now, which is causing quite a bit of damage to Liverpool season. I think Thiago is a bit of an isolated incident. Because anybody that comes on for five minutes plus stoppage time and gets another hamstring injury, clearly that's just him. <laughs> I don't think that's to do with Liverpool's medical department. I think that's just Thiago. Um, and whether we see him again in a Liverpool shirt, yeah, we'll wait, wait, wait to be seen. But yeah, um, overall, it's a very interesting situation because certainly with the midfield, you feel like there's enough there to not really rush Sabozlai back, hopefully now. And Trent, um, not Trent, um, Jurgen Klopp said in a press conference, didn't he, that it was only a couple of weeks ago that media was saying to him, oh, you've got this nice plump squad and it's, you know, you spoiled for choice and everything. Next you know, he's like saying, if anybody says that to me, they're getting kicked out the door <laughs> again. Because all of a sudden then it does kind of spiral out of control a little bit, you feel. 
And you see, it's kind of difficult to comment because I'm not a medical genius. I'm not, I'm not in that profession. But you'd think that Liverpool's medical staff are amongst, you would imagine, the creme de la creme. Um, you know, they're working at the highest level of the Premier League, one of the most successful clubs in England the last few years, one of the most successful clubs in England and the world ever. So it's a really interesting take just to look at the injuries um, and just see if they are they're reoccurring. And that, that's probably the most annoying part, really, especially with Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, I think with him... There's the excuse to say he was forced back a little bit, of course, with the awful news about Conor Bradley's father and I know all of our thoughts go out to him. But with Conor Bradley, in in the perfect world, he probably would have started that Arsenal game because he was in such brilliant form. He probably would have started that the Arsenal game in the league. Trent wouldn't have had to play in that game. The next thing you know, Trent starts and gets injured. So... There are probably some unfortunate circumstances with regards to that and what's re-triggered Trent Alexander-Arnold's injury. Um, overall, it's funny because, as you say, it seems to be one position at a time. Of course, we all remember the absolute almost massacre of you know, our centre-back options back in 2020-2021. Jurgen um, Klopp said literally every time he went in and spoke about um, as, you know, an injury, he'd be told that it was a centre back, and he just again just just felt like everything was going against him. So and then it was the midfielders, obviously, um, and you know I think we're fortunate that it's not the forwards because then that really would be a bit of a pickle. But it seems to be every so often, not consistently. It seems to be the odd injury here and there, but then when some injuries do hit, they kind of pile up. So it's a really interesting situation looking at it and just focusing on the Carabao Cup final. Interesting to see if Thiago Silva plays, Badia Shield's been ruled out. So they're already having a bit of a centre-back crisis themselves. Um, and from a Liverpool perspective, it'd be great certainly if those two are out, given that I do think they are probably Chelsea's two first-choice centre-halves. But yeah, from a Liverpool perspective, it's just it's not ideal, given that certainly when the Europa League comes back, if you want to be fighting on four fronts, you really do need all hands to the pump. Yeah, and I think um, obviously you know you make a good point on on the Chelsea injuries. You know, are they going to be um, a full strength? You know, City have uh, City have Vardial um, as well, who's just picked up an injury. He's out for a few weeks, I think. Um, so we'll see what happens there. So you know, it's always it's going to affect sort of every team across the league. It's just obviously the fact that it, it's recurring. It's it's a bad look, I think, um, for the club for all this to happen, and I, I don't think it's sort of out of the question to say or unfair to say that there's probably been a degree of mismanagement without obviously a portion and blame to to anybody because we don't know what's gone on but when there's that kind of trend all in a short space of time it feels like it's legitimate to, to question hang on is kind of the 100% health of these players being risked a little bit in a footballing sense just because of the demands of this title race, because people didn't expect to be in, and they're just you know desperate to get their difference makers back really quickly. I think with some clubs, there are players that you'd say, oh, he'd play on one leg or need to play him on one leg. For example, Brentford this weekend, Ivan Tony. I mean, he could 
you know, having one of his legs amputated, he'd still be up for Brentford. That's how important he is for them. But Liverpool have the strength and depth to not be in that situation. And I wonder whether that's been kind of disregarded in some quarters at times. Yeah, I think um, the the point you made as well in terms of Bradley and the circumstances around his absence, and obviously echo what both of you have said on that, um, obviously in each case it's its own specific story um, and it might not be just a pattern of, of mistakes from Liverpool. It might just be that their hand was forced. But I think I saw... So Sam Maguire made the point on Twitter that yes, you know, Bradley obviously couldn't play, wasn't with the squad. But if Trent wasn't 100% fit, he shouldn't have played full stop. Um, and I do think that that's also a, a valid take on the situation, too. Um, Dan, I want to get your take on this as well because I just think it's an interesting one to sort of look at generally because, you know, all three of us are like part of like sport media, football media, and we know that when you don't have the full picture from a situation from outside, you do naturally have to be cautious talking about it. Um, whereas a lot of sort of fans on Twitter and stuff are naturally just there, like, you know, sack the medical department, replace them, and they need to go all, all of them with Klopp and things like that. And obviously it's not fully that simple, but at the same time, you can see why a lot of people would be concerned by what they've seen in the past few weeks, surely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I fully get it. And I'd be lying if I said that sort of thought process, not as far as sacking them all, but whether, you know, that thought process has crossed my mind. Like, is this coincidence? Like, this this unfortunate pattern over the space of, as you say, the matter of two weeks? I think I agree with Chris in terms of Thiago. Like, that's probably the least unexpected of all of these. But when you when you couple in, when you group together Trent and Sabozlai, two athletes in the prime of their career, when you see them back from injury, you expect to see them back from injury. Now, something else can happen, and that's sort of unfortunate. But when the same thing, when they re-aggravate the same injury, then you have to go, okay, that's a bit odd. And I am willing to sort of separate the two factors and say, well, it's just unfortunate. I agree 100% with the Conor Bradley point. I don't know whether Trent would have started that game. He may well have done, but there's absolutely a chance. Because Joe Gomez was down with the flu as well. There's absolutely a chance that Trent was not forced, but sort of pushed towards starting the game as opposed to not. But I I also wonder, obviously there's a medical team question amongst all of this, and I know we had bad problems last year with the medical team. You referenced the Diaz situation. I think a lot of that was due to not having the right people in place, to be perfectly honest with you, but that's since been addressed. I do wonder with the Trent one, and perhaps with the Sabozlai a little bit as well, because... Obviously, there's all the scientists. I spoke to the sports scientist, a former sports scientist in Liverpool recently, and they take on board all the data. Jurgen Klopp and his team listen to them. They, they take advice from them. But at some point, it is down to the manager and a little bit down to the individual player as well. Like Obviously, you know, there's a, t- a complete buy-in to its collective, its team. Jurgen Klopp has been at pains to stress that himself. But there is also a conversation whereby Klopp will look ex-player in the eye and say, are you ready? Do you want to do this? And ultimately, if they turn around and say yes, there's half a chance he might play. And when you factor in that Trent literally said at half-time to Jurgen Klopp, I'm fine, let's go again, and that decision was taken out of his hands, that might have played into a little bit why he started the game. Maybe he's like, no, I'm all good, let's do this, let's have it. Obviously, it turns out he wasn't. But the fact that Trent wanted to come out for the second half, and it's since transpired that he might miss several weeks, just taps into a little bit of the mindset of these players. So Bosline might have been similar. They're all absolutely desperate to play football, not only because it's what they do and it's what they love, but when you add to that the fact that Jurgen Klopp's leaving the football club in a few months, we're currently on course for a quadruple. There's loads of 
decide in fact there's loads of mitigating circumstances that make you absolutely desperate to go out there and put on a Liverpool shirt and absolutely fight for the cause. So I wonder whether all of them, obviously Trent and Sabozlai in this case, have pushed themselves too soon, too far, too early, whatever you want to look at it. So yeah, I would probably fall down on that side of things as opposed to apportioning blame to medical staff and all that sort of stuff. I get it, I absolutely get it and I understand it and I've had conversations about it myself, but I just think it's either a mixture of unfortunate circumstances, one of those things, a little bit of a coincidence, or the fact that individually they've all just gone, instead of erring on the side of caution and saying, well, I'll, I won't go this week, I'll wait a week because then I'll be back for longer, et cetera, et cetera. They've gone, oh, no, I, I feel like I'm good to go. And that mentality of being just desperate to go out there and fight for the cause has just caused a little bit of damage, perhaps. And this is obviously like completely like anecdotal. Like I, I don't know if this is actually backed up, but I've kind of had this sense in my head that Liverpool players this season there hasn't been too many. Where you know that phrase "worse than first feared" when it when it comes to injuries, it's been more not as bad, or you know, actually it turns out that the, the worst case scenario was avoided. Mm. Um, and then in my head, I'm starting to think is has there been a sort of change of approach where it's been a little bit like let's be let's be a little bit sort of bolder with it um, and things like that. Maybe let's shift the emphasis in terms of who will listen to things like that. Again, pure speculation, no idea what's going on, but it just feels like it's one of them where sometimes there's been a bit of optimism around players coming back and things like that. And then as it turns out, obviously, as we've seen recently, maybe the timing wasn't you know exactly right. Um, but anyway, I do think that was an interesting conversation to have as much as, again, we can only go off very small sort of pieces of evidence from the outside. But let's finish by focusing on some better news. Uh, Mohamed Salah back um, in team training ahead of the game against Brentford this weekend. Um, I want to touch on the sort of injury dilemma again there um, in a second. But first off, Chris, just let's just reflect on the period we've had without him. There's been so much talk about it for months before AFCON happened. He then gets injured in, I think, the second game of the tournament. Has now actually missed what he, the games he would have missed if he'd gone to the final. So, so that's effectively what's happened. Um, I remember sort of mapping it out beforehand, and this was the one where it was like, this is the latest possible return date in terms of just missing games through AFCON was this game against Brentford. Um, so it's essentially been the worst-case scenario for Liverpool in terms of the games that he's missed, but they've obviously come through it in still a pretty decent position. So... How much would you say Liverpool have missed Salah in this period? Because it kind of feels like credit to the other attackers, they've all stepped up and delivered in his absence. First of all, you say it's better news. I've held him in my team for so, I held him in my team throughout the entirety of Afcon, thinking, oh, he, I, I went into a thing and Egypt aren't that good. I could see him getting knocked out early. I kept him throughout the entirety of it. I then heard Jurgen Klopp say he'll be part of parts of training last week. So I got rid for Diogo Jota, and now he's back. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, Jota scored last week. Fantastic points, but it's a very, now getting him back in is going to be an absolute pain. But anyway, on the actual fact he's back itself, um, yeah, uh, it's obviously a boost. In terms of the, the period that he wasn't available, I don't think could have gone much better from a Liverpool perspective in terms of the forwards, of course. There was a defeat against Arsenal, but that wasn't just the forwards. I think overall the team 
there was just not something there was just something not right that day. And I know you can highlight it and say the one error between Van Dijk and Allison was the crucial thing because I, I do think Liverpool probably would have got a result had that not happened. But regardless, um, apart from Diaz, the other forwards weren't really at it that afternoon. The Emirates. Otherwise, look, Jot has really stepped up. I've I've I'm quite vocal in saying that even including Mo Salah, I think Diogo Jota is the best finisher at the football club. Um, I think he's the most clinical finish at the football club, certainly. Um, Nunez, Nunez is Nunez, isn't he? But at least there's a feeling that he does have his confidence at the moment and he is willing to cause problems, running behind, do the things that we know Nunez does. Um, Diaz, I think, probably looks in the best shape that he's looked for some considerable time now. Even being honest, um, I think it's two goals and two assists in the last few weeks, which for him is is really good considering he had gone on a bit of a barren spell. And Cody Gappo, I suppose, is the, is the quieter one amongst them all. But again, it's trying to find a role for him at the moment. But undoubtedly, in the part that Salah's not been in, he played a crucial role in getting Liverpool through to the EFL Cup final. So all the forwards have played their part. Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones as well. They've both played their part during this this run as well in terms of having to slot in in forward areas. Um, so I really don't think the salah period could have gone much better. Um, of course, it's a bonus to have him back. I'm probably not expecting him to start the Brentford game. I think Luton is more realistic possibility because, again, we're going back to the discussion of you know, you don't want him back too quickly if this is a hamstring problem because it's pretty much the first issue he's had since 2017 and joining Liverpool. So you don't want to bring him too far back. And to be honest with you, not even from an FPL perspective, just from <laughs> getting ready for the Carabao Cup perspective, if he didn't play until that final, I'd be fine because then I know he'd be fully rested. I'd probably expect him to be in the squad for both. At least I'm expecting him to be in the squad for Luton. But I think Liverpool have more than enough options in those forward areas to get through the next two games and still be in a healthy position. Yeah, just to provide a bit of context, the first thing that Chris said there. Sure, um, pain. He has whittled down my hey. lead in our, in our podcast fantasy league over the past several I believe weeks. I saw it. About three, four points or something now. Um, it was 100 so, at one point, wasn't it? Well, it was a, it was a big gap, yeah, and now um, the bottle job's starting to creep in um, on my end. But yeah, I mean, on Salah, I think the way I'd describe it is, if someone had said to you, sort of, as he packed his bags and left for that tournament, this will be where Liverpool are at when he's back. You'd say, Do you know what, I'd take that, yeah. even though there has been obviously um, the drop points there against Arsenal. Liverpool have done really well. Um, the the attackers who. Um, came in for the fair share of criticism earlier in the season, have done well. Um, so credit to them, um, definitely. And now, obviously, yeah, like you mentioned, decision time for the weekend. I mean, we'll finish off with you then, Dan. Chris has sort of teed it up there. I mean, would you start Mohamed Salah in this game? You know, Klopp said, um, I think in his last press conference, that if you ask him, he's ready to go. But they might be a little bit more cautious. I mean, it feels like after everything we've talked about here and everything that's happened in the past few weeks, there has to be a more cautious approach. But then again, it is the most exceptional player in the team, I suppose. 
Yeah, um, exactly that. I, I definitely, and I think Klopp will definitely be um, on the side of caution and just having him nicely sat on the bench, potentially for the entire duration of the game, to be honest with you. Um, but as as Klopp rightly said, and as you were coming to me there, I was thinking, yeah, good luck telling Mo Salah that he's not starting that game. Um, but yeah, it's, it's different. He'll be absolutely desperate to play, won't he? I think there's no two ways about that, given how the consummate professional and just how addicted to playing football he appears to be. Um, he'll be just desperate to get back out there and, and doing the business for the Reds. But yeah, I don't envisage a world whereby he starts the game. That's not to say it's a definite no, because if he trains all week and there's absolutely no repercussions and everything looks fine and he's good to go, of course. And I often get surprised by Mo Salah starting football games. They tend to be games like in the Europa League that feel like dead rubbers or Carabao Cup games that feel like he's not going to be a part of and all of a sudden there he is. And that just speaks to how much he loves playing football for Liverpool Football Club because he'll be the one probably starting most of those conversations. And again, it comes from a place of sports science whereby he probably needs certain minutes to get back into a rhythm and all that sort of stuff. Because as Chris rightly says, there's there's a Carabao Cup final on the horizon, there's a Man City game a little bit further down on the horizon, and we want the best version of Mo Salah for that. So ultimately, whatever gets him to that is ideal for the Reds. But personally, he would not start this game. I think also there's the fact that you know there's lads who you know, are probably deserving of a start because they have sort us through this little tricky spell without Salah. You've got Diogo Jota, Darwin Nunes, Louis Diaz as well. He's in that conversation. So that would be my preference, I would say. But ultimately, you know, when you've got someone of the genius of Mohamed Salah, and the only game, it's such a simplistic thing to say because obviously it's probably the only game we lost in this period, certainly deserved to, was the Arsenal one. Um and who knows, and Chris made the point earlier, Liverpool to a man were miles off it and never really won a battle throughout the entirety of that game. But when you have someone like Mo Salah, even if he's not playing well, only takes a moment, only takes a moment, and that can change the entire course of a match. So having him up your sleeve, having him back available is just pivotal. But if I was picking my start at 11 for the game, he would not be a part of it. Yeah, and it is obviously going to be a very difficult one for Liverpool. So if he is fit enough to be on the bench, which I'm sure we'll find out on Friday, um, then he could, could be one of them where he's relied upon to change the game. Um, and like you mentioned, and the amount of times Salah has almost bailed Liverpool out this season, even in games where he's not been playing well, um, hopefully he can continue to do that um, when needed over the next few weeks and months. But yeah, we'll leave it there for today's episode thanks to dan and chris for joining me and thanks very much everyone for listening and um, we're away this weekend so no uh, episode after the brentford game but we'll be back next week before the final so we'll reflect on the uh, midweek game against luton and um, not the lads mentioned there and then obviously look ahead to the match at wembley so that'll be when our next episode is in the meantime if you've enjoyed this one please give us a five star rating remember to follow the podcast press the notification button all of that and we've got all the relevant links including our twitter usernames in the episode description. But yeah, that's all for this episode. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next time.